Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We're back with our second weekly podcast covering the latest in the NHL playoffs. Of course, we've got some Ducks news to discuss as well. Jake is here with me to break it all down. Jake, I got to say, I'm a little fired up right now for multiple reasons, but I'm, I'm just fired up for this podcast. What, what about you? Yeah, I'm excited. It's been an awesome week. It hit me this weekend. Um, I think this week was the first time where it almost felt like the week went by slow in a way because there was just so much hockey on. Like it hit me. I was like, huh, it doesn't feel like I didn't I ha- didn't have hockey for like three or four months before this because there's just been so much during this week. It's been awesome. It like because there's been what five games a day basically four or five games a day up until the last couple days where it was uh, significantly lower. But it's been fantastic and the hockey shocking. I mean, I kind of came into this expecting it to be good, but also came in not fully knowing what to expect. The hockey's been really really good. It's been really fun games, really high paced. I think even you saw some round robin games were kind of iffy and eh. But majority of even the round robin games were competitive and teams were really pushing it. But um, there definitely was a difference between those and the qualifying round games. But it was fantastic hockey, really fun. And I think this week I realized how much I missed not only watching the games, but talking about the games. You, me, CJ, and our uh, group text message just talking about games each night was uh, really nice. Um, Being able to give you a little bit of crap because of your picks was also fantastic. Um, We'll go over that a little bit more in a bit but uh turns out my picks came out pretty nicely yeah we'll we'll get into all of that don't worry you'll you'll have your you'll have your day in the sun or, or whatever the whatever the expression is you'll you'll have your time in the spotlight to 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 bash me essentially just, just we know that's what's gonna happen just bask in my glory let's uh let's talk about the anaheim ducks though we're getting really lucky on these podcasts because the ducks do at least one thing a week to to give us ammo to talk about so that's Thank you, Anaheim Ducks. Keep it coming. This one, though, so last week we talked about the Sonny Milano and Troy Terry extensions. This week, the topic is a little less exciting. Sorry if I'm I'm burying the lead here, but Jacob Larson was re-signed to a two-year extension with an annual average value of $1.2 million a year. And so it's interesting because if you look at his contract, uh, his, the contract he was on with the Ducks, it was a two-way deal. This one, just like the other two guys that the Ducks have re-signed, he is going to make the same amount of money, regardless of if he's playing in San Diego or in Anaheim, which is a big deal for Jacob Larson because even though he did play a lot of games in Anaheim last season, he was still kind of one of those back-and-forth guys, much less last year. It's been a descending curve, but not necessarily established. So, Let's just get into some reactions first before we get into the nitty-gritty of the deal. Uh, Jake, what was your reaction to this deal coming down? Um, my first reaction was just kind of like, what? Uh, it came out of nowhere a little bit. Um, it's not necessarily shocking. He was an RFA. I don't believe he had arbitration rights at the end of it. He was on his ELC, so he was kind of at the mercy of the Ducks. I think the thing that was kind of shocking was him getting over a million, but... Um, you look at the comparables, if you go to cap friendlies, uh, compare this contract tool and the comparables for it are, I mean, Brendan Gooley is a comparable Christian juice, <laughs> another comparable, funny enough. Interesting. Um, Kay- uh, Caleb Jones, you actually have Christian juices, last contract, with Washington kind of being in that realm. So you have a lot of guys that are in that 22 to 23 range signing very similar type of deals, two year deals worth one to 1. 1.5 in, uh, typically, 
And and so, I mean, granted, Brendan Gooley was 800K, but still, it, this is kind of what you expect. And the other thing for the Ducks that I think is critical out of this and why I think it is a two-year deal and not necessarily a one-year deal um, is the expansion draft. And so a big thing for the expansion draft, for those that don't remember, is in the previous one, there was a 40-70 rule where you had to expose one defenseman and two forwards that had each of them played in 40 games in the prior season or 70 games in the prior two seasons. Um, basically, the and they were under contract for the season after the expansion draft. Essentially, the reasoning for it is the NHL didn't want only players that weren't NHLers being exposed. Basically, teams found a way to just uh, protect every single NHLer on the roster and only expose their AHL team. They wanted people to have to expose at least one defenseman and two forwards that were actual NHLers in the prior two seasons and were under contract. So that's kind of where this plays in, in my mind, is that Larson gets a two-year deal. He played in, let me see real quick, 60, 60 games, games. 60 games in the prior season. So he's only 10 away from hitting that 70-game uh, mark that's needed. So even if he didn't play a lot for the Ducks next year, he'd hit that. And then also you factor in, I don't know if it's going to be 40-70. It may be less than each of those because of the fact that this season wasn't a full season. This f- season was an 80-game or 70-some-odd game season as compared to an 82 so they may lessen that. So uh, overall, to me, this is the Ducks locking up a guy for two years that was a guy that was drafted. You don't want to give up on your first-round pick just yet. But it was also done looking ahead towards the expansion draft to have a guy that would be available to be exposed that would meet the uh, uh, expansion draft requirements. Because you look at the rest of the fence, here's the guys that are under contract for the 21-22 season, which part is part of this. Uh, you have Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and then Jacob Larson. Um, you also probably will have um, Brendan Gooley will be a part of that being uh, under a two-year deal, I believe. Uh, let me just double-check that really quickly. Um, but Brendan Gooley probably will be in that boat. You also probably will have Josh Mahura in that boat. Uh, but the issue with them is they probably won't have played enough NHL games by that point in time. Uh, to meet the 40-70 rule. So it really is a situation that was kind of looking ahead and planning ahead for that expansion draft. Yeah, that is an interesting angle. I also find it interesting that the first thought, the first reaction to this is more about how this fits into the expansion draft than what the player actually (laughs) brings to the table. I mean, that kind of tells you everything you need to know, though, doesn't it? It does, because if you look at Jacob Larson's last three seasons with the Ducks, um, or even just looking at last season, he he was one of the worst defensemen in the NHL, <laughs> let alone on the Ducks. And it's not just that he was on a bad team. It's that in the role that he was in individually, he just didn't bring a whole lot to the table. He was bad in his own zone, didn't really bolster the offense in any meaningful way. In fact, you could argue he was a drag when he was out there. Of course, he was saddled with some pretty poor partners. You know, he played with Corbin and Holzer a lot and, we all know how that goes, but even still, Jacob Larson is a former first-round pick, a late first-round pick. Still, it's a guy that you would like to see some kind of progress, some kind of sign, some kind of indication that at age 23, he's going to become a regular NHL defenseman. And at this point, it's going to be it's going to be a huge win for the Ducks if Larson can even become a good to decent third-line defenseman. That that is really his ceiling at this point. I think that the ship has completely sailed on him being a second pairing guy, much less uh, a first pairing guy. And it's a shame because I think that in the beginning of his career, he did at least on an eye test level, 
appear to be a little more solid. He, he looked like he was confident with the puck and had good mobility, but that has really faded. There's a lot of talk about how his knee injury has affected his development, but man, it destroyed his development. So I don't know how much of that really explains how this has gone for him. And I hate to compare players because sometimes it's a little unfair to both, but I can definitely use that when looking at the decisions that the front office has made. And the Ducks traded Marcus Pedersen for um, Daniel Sprung back when they thought that they needed more defensive depth. And I really do think that part of the reason why they did that is because they thought, well, we have Jacob Larson in the pipeline as a left shot D. And Pedersen was very, very good defensively for the Penguins last season. And even if you go back for the last three years, he's been a decent uh, you know, slightly above average to average defenseman, which, I mean, that that is like I was saying, that is Jacob Larson's ceiling at this point. And you kind of have to say they picked the wrong guy to, to trade away. Well, and even tracking back even further, you could make the argument that one of the reasons why they trade Shea Theodore was because they had Jacob Larson in the system and there's the left-handed mm-hmm. D. I know we all made the comparison at the time between, uh, Jack, between uh, Brandon Montour and Shea Theodore for that deal, but... Mm-hmm. Um, to me in my head at the time it made more sense to compare it to Larson because Larson was the guy that was going to come in eventually and take that left-handed uh shot side role and to me he he just hasn't and and granted he's young enough where maybe you could see some development I don't want to completely write him off uh but the the signs aren't great because he is currently let me just look he is 23 years 23 years old so he is starting to enter his prime. So what he was this past year, yes, there can be some development in his game, um, no doubt, and he could develop into a better player. But we also kind of know through aging curves that this is kind of who he is. Um, he may get a little bit of a plus from it, but he's getting close to what he is. And if you're not seeing those flashes even, then that's a big issue. So if you look at him, by the way, um, he was a negative uh, goals ago, uh, above replacement player. So he was worse than a replacement level player per uh, evolving hockey in the previous season with his uh, defense actually being the worst part of his game, which is not great. He was negative 1.2 goals above replacement in terms of offense. So in terms of even strike offense, whatever little time he got in the power play, but he was negative 3.6. Uh, so essentially what that means is if you put a replacement level player out there, they would have allowed uh, 3.6 less goals than he would have. Or, yeah, um, on the yeah, defensive I mean, it, side. It's not perfect math, but no. essentially he is below average. But it ge- <laughs> it, give, it gives you a representation yeah. of what he is and how his performance mm-hmm. was of the prior season. And so I think that, at the end of the day, this this feels like a contract that was given to him because of the expansion draft, because of he's a first-round pick. I, I well, think also, if, w- what else are they going to do with him? True. Like, were they just, he was a restricted free agent, so... Sure. There's there's not a market for him. He's the, the Ducks are the only team that could sign him, and so what were they going to do? Not qualify him? Not yeah. give him a qualifying offer Which, and have him become a UFA? Yeah, I, I mean that that would have been a pretty shocking move. But I think for the Ducks, it makes more sense to keep him around, see if maybe he can still develop into a a good player, and and if not, then at least you've you've given yourself some more flexibility for the expansion draft. So I think from a Ducks perspective, it's it's a okay deal. I don't I still don't love it just because he hasn't shown that he's worth that deal and on top of that it it doesn't do anything to abate this whole logjam on on the blue line that they have right now. So, do I think Jacob Larson could become a good player 
or at, at this point just a serviceable lineup guy, I think he could be. He has shown very, and I mean very brief flashes of having good on-ice results when he's played with, with somewhat better partners. Like he has had a little time with Hampus Lindholm in the past, and you could you could talk yourself into him becoming a decent third-pairing guy. It's just the evidence for that is so slim. Yeah. It, yeah. And he and he routinely looks so out of sorts in his own zone, just poor positioning, bad decision-making, and he has the physical tools. I don't think he's a guy who's necessarily lacking in strength or athleticism. I just think that his his hockey sense, especially defensively, is very, is just it's not all there and that's a problem when when you're going up against NHL players who are not really caring whether or not you've developed well at that point so we shall see hopefully for him it works out hopefully on this kind of prove it deal he can become a solid defenseman at the NHL level and can command a higher salary that would be a great outcome for both Jacob Larson and the Ducks but consider me skeptical of that Mm -hmm. possibility same 100% 100% agree. Yep. So let's, uh, Dole, did you have anything else to say on that, on Jacob Larson? No, I am all good. Uh, I guess we can, let's jump in real quick to that the expansion draft is tomorrow because I just saw this. You, tw- I the just, expansion draft? Sorry, not expansion draft. Uh, <laughs> draft lottery. Um, yes. Greg Wyshynski just tweeted out uh, at 8, 10 p.m., so three minutes ago, for the NHL draft lottery draw tomorrow night. It will not be behind closed doors because it's a one in eight chance. Gary Bettman will pull the winning ball from the nice. machine live on air. Love it. That, Love it. That is Milk fantastic. It. Milk it for what it's worth. Yeah. Th- there's, there's no fancy math in this where there's different number sequences. It's probably going to be eight balls and <laughs> Gary Bettman just reaches his hand in and grabs one. Man, that is that is terrifying. That if is you're fantastic. A fan of these teams, but that it's but for the fans, it's great. I, I love it personally. But picture if he pulls a Maple Leaf ball though out. The conspiracy. Oh, I really carries. hope not. That that is definitely we're so for those who don't know. For if you are a patron or if you want to be a patron, we are going to do a bonus episode tomorrow night reacting to the draft lottery. So it's going to be awesome. We're, yeah, we'll do that. We'll get into some uh, previews we'll, of we'll the get next into, series. Also, we'll actually. So for now, we will give you a a taste of that because. Now that we've discussed the Ducks news, let's move on to the week that was. So the NHL qualifying round is officially over, which means that we have to go back now and look at our selections, our predictions that we made. And boy, did I make some mistakes. I'm just going to I'm going to get out ahead of it here and just say that I made some pretty bad you, picks. You were saved in this. So for those of you but that don't know, I, I, I was not. Saved. Well, let, let's just. Hold on, go ahead. Say what you're gonna uh, say. We had a, a beer bet on the these uh, picks where the first place. Uh, I think we said this on the last show. The team, the person that got the most right would get a, a six pack. The person yes. that was worst would have to buy the six pack, and the tiebreaker, if all things were tied, would be the correct number of games. Yep. Felix and made CJ out. And I tied. <laughs> Felix made out by the skin of his teeth. Of he had to. Uh, he had to rely on the games to not have hey, to buy me a six pack. They don't ask how. They don't ask how. True. True. I, I got it. I got it done. So let, okay. Let's, so let let's go over the picks here because, I mean, we 
there, there's, there's a lot to talk about, especially I'm assuming even if you're not a huge fan of all these teams or series, you were probably watching this week. Be honest. Even if you're a Ducks fan, <laughs> hockey is on your TV, on your streaming device. You, you got to tune in. Let's just start with the series that was so very, very good. Pittsburgh against Montreal. So Jake had Montreal in five and I had Pittsburgh in five going against my own team, the Canadians. And wouldn't you know it, the Canadians won in four. Yeah. So not, neither of us, well, Jake got the team right. He got Montreal, didn't get the games. Yeah. But what a, what a series that was. I mean, maybe to me, the most exciting series, obviously, <laughs> as a fan of the team, it was pretty awesome to watch. Carey Price turned the clock back. But hey, credit to you for uh, showing more confidence in, in my Canadians cool. than, than I did. <laughs> and my prediction wasn't completely off either in terms of if you looked at the rationale behind it. Carey Price played like the Carey Price of old. We saw a renaissance in his game. Well, and, yeah. and Montreal, now granted, they didn't have a dominating 5-on-5 five five performance like I was hoping when you look at their numbers. They, they kept it pretty even. Yeah. They, they, they kept it pretty even. They were and in some games, they even surpassed the Panthers. Yeah, they were at 48.22 expected goals for percentage on the, the series. So fifty, basically pretty close to 50-50 when you're talking about a short series like that. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, this was a, a series where basically everyone was picking Pittsburgh besides analytics. You look at a lot of analytic models. A lot of analytic models were predicting that Montreal could come out on top with Evolving Wild, I think, actually giving Montreal the highest chance of moving on out of any team. I think that what I underrated or kind of didn't do enough research on was how bad Pittsburgh was at the end of the season. Because when I started reading Pittsburgh writers uh, throughout the series, I didn't realize how how much skepticism and pessimism there was in Pittsburgh about this team going into it. I believe when we did our Patreon episode previewing the series, I believe that I mentioned that Sean Tierney had these uh, charts where he would go. Yeah, but you, you waffled on that. Oh, I I did also because yeah, I 100% waffled (laughs) because I said that who knows if a rolling seven game average really matters going into a playoffs when you've had three months off, but it does give you some indication of how they were playing with their team at that time. Well, I think the big thing for Pittsburgh was that there were some structural issues that were not changed in this series that really affected them, a.k.a. the Justin Schultz-Jack Johnson pairing, which was inexplicably kept together throughout the whole series, even though Jack Johnson was on the ice for something like six games or six goals against, something like that, some something incredible like that. So Mike Sullivan refused to go away from that, putting in Matt Murray, definitely turned out to be a mistake in that i think he was okay in the first what was it two games but the the over the shoulder goal against jeff petrie that wasn't the nail in the coffin and then tristan jari was fine in game four but it just wasn't enough and then of course the the pittsburgh penguins best players just didn't really come through i mean evgeny malkin kind of just slept walk through the series and the, the canadians to their credit they they really capitalized on that. Carey Price was great, but also they had a lot of great contributions. We talked about Jeff Petrie, uh, Nick Suzuki, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. So great series yeah. overall. As a Canadians fan, I know I've already been asked about it. I am disappointed. I'm not going to lie that the, the Habs now no longer have a chance at Alexi Lafreniere or the ninth overall pick. But at the same time, I think it's great to see that the young players actually were some of the best players in this series and that Carey Price when rested when in a in a big game situation can still deliver. So, so there's still a lot of positive to take away. And I'm going to jump in on that real quick because I'm 
as everyone probably knows on this, I'm very much pro lose as lose to get first overall if you don't think you have a sh- chance of doing anything. And mm-hmm. we'll get into that a little bit more with another team coming up. But to <laughs> me, Montreal's a team where, yeah, it may have been more beneficial long term for them to lose, no doubt, because you. I mean, could, objectively, you could, it was more beneficial. You could yeah. get Alexi Lafreniere, but I also think that this team, they have a shot of going deep because. It's not as if they're a team that gets outplayed. Like I said, their their five on five numbers were ridiculously good through the course of the season. And yeah. really what let them down was Carey Price and not being able to put the puck in the net with their chances. And so we saw that they got timely goal scoring in the series. We saw that while they didn't dominate play, they were held even with Pittsburgh. And so they're going up against a Flyers team that, yes, is very much in form right now. But to me, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They can be- they can they, beat Philly. Yeah, they could. I, I think that they have the, the chance to beat Philly. And I think that that yeah. is a better one of the best matchups that you probably could have asked for out of the, the four uh, round robin teams was to get Philly. And so I think if you're a Montreal fan, you should feel pretty good because you have a chance of moving on to the conference uh, semifinals. And yeah. kind of once you hit there, who knows how far you can go. I think they could have beaten Tampa Bay as well. That is my that is my hot take that I'm kind of glad I'm never going to have to find out if I was right or wrong on that. But Tampa Bay, without Steven Stamkos and their blue line, their blue line kind of scares well, me. Well, no Hedman have, either, potentially. When you have, and no Victor Hedman, potentially, yeah. And, and when you have Zach Bogosian out there in the year 2020, the year of our Lord 2020, <laughs> in your top four, I just don't know if that's a great thing yeah. to have, even if he's playing well. So... Anyway, let's uh let's move on here. Yeah. I'm just I'm just going to bend the knee. I'm going to bend the knee because this was a very contentious yeah, debate on our Patreon prediction pod. So, yeah. Jake had Carolina in 4 and I had New York in 4 and it was I believe Carolina in 3. Carolina yep. swept the series. Carolina swept the series. I'm just going to give my two cents here. Carolina steamrolled New York. I don't think New York maybe looked like they were in it for about 15 minutes but in total of this series. But goaltending Goalte- well, the goaltending was – I don't think it was I'm, the reason that they I lost. am just giving you crap because that was <laughs> that was supposed to be the big difference maker in this series per you. Well, well, the other difference maker to me was that New York was going to be able to generate offense. True. And they, they were not able to do no. that. I mean, Car- Carolina stifled their transition game, and that was really it. I mean, that it kind of exposed that the Rangers are kind of a one-trick pony offensively, and – a lot of people criticized Artemi Panarin in that series. I don't really think that you can put it all on him because he was, I mean, systematically the Hurricanes just shut down everything that the New York Rangers threw at them. And and so I don't necessarily know if I'm still confident in saying the Hurricanes are going to go deep because they probably beat one of the worst teams in this qualifying round. Yeah. But they look good. I mean, they didn't show any indication that they, that they can't do it, especially because they were missing Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci. So yep. they could go deep as well. There, yep. There's no doubt about that. I mean, like I said at the when we did the prediction on the series, you have one of the worst teams in the league at 5-on-5 five five with 47% expected goals, 4 percentage, versus one of the best teams in the league with 52.37 expected goals, 4 percentage. So uh, you had the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Hurricanes were just a better team, deeper team, and it showed. Um, the only thing the Rangers had potentially going for them was if the power play would cash in, and they weren't really able to do that. And the hurricane showed that maybe their one flaw was goaltending, but uh, Mrazic stepped up and played a great game. Reimer, when he was called upon on a back-to-back, came in and played fantastic. And I think that there's actually a question that has to be had of who do you start in game one? Do you start Reimer or Mrazic? Because Reimer was that good in game three. 
I think it'll be Mrazek. Probably, but, but you you look at the stats from uh, in terms of expected goal uh, goal saved above average. Uh, Reimer in that single game was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I, I know. I mean, James James Reimer to me is better than Peter Mrazek. Yeah. But <laughs> yep. That's that. That's neither here nor but, there. So congrats to you. You mm-hmm. got it right. I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have picked the Rangers. No, you should not. I, I, I don't know why you did. I that. feel like I feel like it was a contrarian pick. It but was there was 100%. really no. There was no benefit to pick to being a contrarian. Well, it, it <laughs> wasn't our, just a con- our... it wasn't just a contrarian pick. It was a contrarian pick with no logical backing. There was some backing, but anyway, Not it much. wasn't it wasn't Not good much. enough. I do want to point out that Igor Shosturkin was injured for the early part of the series. Could have could have turned the tide. Who knows? He was not good in game. He was not that good in game three. Yeah, well, coming off an injury, Th- that's the thing though. I have actually a reasonable defense for a lot of the picks that went wrong. So which Shosturkin get, would have made that big of a difference in that series? Maybe he win one game. A it healthy been, Shosturkin. It Carey Price showed four. what a goaltender can do. It may have been in four. <laughs> Okay, let's uh let's move on to one that I actually got right. So you had in New York Islanders versus Florida Panthers. You had Florida in five, and I had Islanders in four, and I nailed that one right on the head. So as I predicted, the Islanders are just better than the Panthers. The Panthers are not a reliable team. Sergei Bobrovsky might just not be good when he's not playing in John Tortorella's system, and the. Panthers offense just wasn't reliable enough. Whereas the Islanders stifling, I keep using that word, but it's such a good word, stifling defensive system. It's just too much that the Islanders break analytics. A lot of analytics team or people don't like the Islanders, but they just find a way to, to break that algorithm because they limit everything to the outside. And they, they really cut down on those quality chances and they have just enough talent up front to, to make you pay. They do struggle a lot when they don't have the lead. Initially, I noticed that in the one game, Florida one, when the Islanders have to catch up, it's a lot tougher sledding for them. But if they get out to a one to two goal lead, it's going to be a very slow, boring game. And and we saw that in a series. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say on the series. I was wrong. (laughs) Didn't really have a well, strong opinion going in. I love how you're. I love how you're almost word for word reciting your prediction in our Crash the Pond website article. Because yeah, to it, quote to quote Jake Rudolph, I really don't have a strong opinion on the series. Yeah, I still so don't. My inter- still don't. <laughs> so my internal coin flip landed with the Panthers. Look. Yep. Sure. <laughs> so uh, great. I was wrong. Who cares? Modern, modern, <laughs> modern poetry at well, its one, finest. One of one of the three that I got wrong. <sighs> okay, let's move on to another contentious debate that we had on our yeah. prediction pod and this one i annihilated you you so you had toronto in three you had you had toronto steamrolling the columbus blue yeah. jackets yeah how disrespectful of you i had columbus in five nailed the winner and nailed the game so why don't you give us your give us your thoughts on the series i, I mean i said last episode that the reason for me going in three was kind of along the lines of i expected this entire series to kind of be Open hockey because the fact that you had guys coming back that uh, from a three-month layoff that you weren't going to be able to play that defensive structured hockey that uh, you typically get from a John Tortorella team. And so that would lend itself to the more offensively oriented team to be able to go in and score a bunch of goals because essentially you had a team that was all offense versus a team that was pretty much all defense. And um, I banked on the offense cashing in in an open series. And as it turns out, that didn't happen. This went the exact opposite game script of what I thought would happen in um, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets ended up winning. I mean, you I s- forgot who. I think it was Dom LeShizan or someone just had tweeted out something along the lines of uh, the Maple Leaf shooting percentage over the course of the series is like 1%. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, I, I think the the Maple Leafs could have easily won this series. It was yes. very close. Yes. Here but we the go. Blue one point but one point nine seven percent shooting percentage <laughs> at five on five. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's that you know when you play the way the Leafs do, if your offense doesn't come through for you, they don't have a lot to fall back on. That's that's kind of the issue with that team, and that's why I felt more comfortable picking Columbus because okay. I feel like the way that they play is more. It's easier to do every game because it's mostly about effort and sticking to the game plan. Whereas Toronto, they need the bounces, and if they don't get them, I don't well, know. I mean, is it even I, the I don't, bounces? I don't, I don't want to say. Well, you're saying you're citing the the shooting percentage, which is bounces. But well, yeah, but a two percent shooting percentage <laughs> means that it's not necessarily the bounces not going their way. It's just they were yeah. snake bitten. Right, and also, I mean, I don't, I don't want this to be a big referendum on the way Toronto plays. No, or, I don't either. You know, but at the same time, I do think that th- this kind of showed that they, I think their their roster needs a little more balance to it because they they look pretty bad defensively at times. You know, not throughout the whole series, but that blue line. I mean, they did lose Jake Muzzin early on in a pretty scary moment, but I just, I was not that impressed with with their defensive play and maybe that's unfair because it's a short series also i didn't i didn't think frederick anderson was great i'll I'll have more on that later but it just it kind of just felt it kind of went exactly how you thought it would go if you were a blue jackets believer (laughs) oh yeah this played in the script of of what the blue jackets wanted i mean they easily could have won this series in four i mean outside of a miraculous comeback from the leafs uh, to push it to Game 5, there shouldn't have even been a Game 5, basically. Um, kind of moving on with this series, though, real quick, now that the Leafs are out, and you mentioned it right there, the fact that the Leafs are a little bit top-heavy in terms of offense, and they don't really have the best depth on the blue line. Mm-hmm. I have this hot take kind of continuing to go on in my head, and we're not going to really get too much into the draft lottery because we're going to discuss it more in depth tomorrow after it happens. I would love to see the Leafs win it simply because I think that makes it much easier for them to move on from a Mitch Marner or William Nylander and make a move for a defense. And if you're the Ducks, why would you not try to see if you could maybe swing a Mitch Marner for a Hampus Lindholm type deal? And Hampus Lindholm is a guy that is 26, I believe, or maybe, no, he's 27 now. He's 27. So he's in his prime right now. I mean, this is going to be a tough sell for Ducks fans, but Hampus Lindholm most likely is going to be aged out of his prime with the prime ending he's around 29. He's 26, by the way. He is? I thought he's he turned 26. 20. Okay, he's 26? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but regardless, so he'll probably be 28, 29, maybe 30 by the time the Ducks are contending. Not just in the playoffs, but contending again. Um, well, why and, don't you just trade Josh Manson? <laughs> I mean, you could, but will Manson get you Marner? Well, I'm just... Yeah, I mean, I guess you could... It would be a lower-tier deal, but... I think you'd rather give up Manson than Lindholm. True. If you're the but, but my point is, so this all kind of wraps in. The Leafs are probably going to look to move a forward that paid too much more than they would want for some defense that can help their D. And um, that's why Lindholm came into my head because that's the higher ticket type of guy that they would be looking for. Yeah. You would probably have defense. to move. You'd probably have to move additional pieces if you're the Ducks to get Marner. Because you have to make this the money work, and yeah. so maybe Raquel is in that deal, and maybe it becomes I mean, a much bigger deal from there. But still, I, yeah. I think that the options become open where the Ducks could potentially get a guy that's twenty three, that's just entering his prime, and kind of aligns with a lot of the Ducks players more. So keep in mind, Marner's the same age as uh, Troy Terry. 
Yes. Well, that's it, the thing is a lot of a lot of Ducks fans, and I, I kind of get it, they don't like to hear trade another defenseman because the Ducks have been doing that nonstop the last yeah. couple of years. And look where it's led them. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league or at yep. least bottom tier. Yep. So what is the rationale? But at this point, what is there left to really save? That they're not a really good defensive group if you can keep at least like a one two of the three of Fowler Lindholm Manson yep and and you go get an elite forward that is going to be around for the foreseeable future and that can be a part of that next wave of ducks that makes a lot of sense for Anaheim at some point you kind of just have to cut the cord on this this blue line that I just don't understand why people are so uh against moving on from any of these guys because at the end of the day they have the, the group as a whole hasn't been that good together for well, the last I, almost three years now I, I think the big sticking point is some people i think they view them as still being young enough where at 30 mm-hmm. they're still going to be in their prime only and not Lindholm, only Lindholm is kind of young at this point yeah but even then he's still in the middle of his prime right now and i think that's the big thing that we need to make sure we shift our mentality on is 23 to 30 is probably the prime age for a defenseman, maybe even 29. And so once they get past that, they're going to start declining. And so to me, it, it, it it's simply re, resupplying the talent to match up with the contending window. And I've mentioned contending window a bunch on this podcast. That's what the Ducks really need to be focusing on. And yes, you want to have some older guys to be able to help them learn to win and have leadership and all that type of stuff. But if you keep one, two or one or two of Fowler or Manson, there's that. There's the older guy for this group uh, moving forward that helps them, and and so well, you can the, fill in guys the, the and you can guy, make trades. The guy that would make sense to move would be Fowler. If but the problem is he's got the no trade clause. Yes, would he accept would, the, I mean, would he go to Toronto? He's, he, he's he, from might go to Toronto. he might he's go from to Toronto. He might go to Toronto. Windsor. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the few places he'd accept a trade to. Well, He's and from they're the a cont- contending team. Yeah, I mean he would he would be very fun to watch on Toronto. But I mean, does you, he you, so, does he solve their issues? Would they? Well, that's the that's the thing is I think they need a Lindholm or Manson more. But I think if you're the Ducks, you'd I I mean I think you'd probably prefer to keep Fowler and Lindholm out of those three. Manson is the one you want to move off of, but Manson is the one that doesn't net you as much capital so that's there's a lot going on there but yeah i like i mean i think for the ducks they do have to be thinking that way a little bit because it's not really going to happen through the draft at this point when no sixth overall pick is is good but it's not a it's not a cure-all and you've got to find you've got to get creative and so if the leafs Mm -hmm. win i mean the leafs may move a guy no matter what even if they don't win lafreniere but if you get lafreniere then it makes it even easier to make that decision because you have a cheap guy that's going to be coming in and taking over that production right all right, so stay tuned. Stay mm-hmm. tuned. Maybe the maybe the ducks do kind of come to reason. We'll see. I think it's at this point it's getting hard to defend just clinging to this blue line, especially getting, because the it, the ducks don't look that great for next year either. Well, it's getting hard to to defend this core mm-hmm. as being <laughs> as being as being a core that can lead you to the playoffs. I mean, the fact that the ducks are in a rebuild kind of tells you that. This core isn't good enough that they need to to retool and re- get the get people in that will help out the next core. Yeah, and, and and the Ducks made the playoffs three years ago, but they didn't win a game and they no. did not look that great doing it. No. So they realistically have not been a playoff caliber team in about well, 
four years. Yeah. So I, I think that these are the types of moves that the Ducks should be looking to make. These are the types of moves where you're getting an exciting talent that can come and bring in goals um, and is also younger and fits with the next contending window. Would you move, I mean, just in theory, would you move the, the sixth overall pick to get a Marner? No. no. Is that where you draw the line? That's where I draw the line. I, I don't think I don't think you move six. So what about Lindholm, Raquel, and Boston's pick? I don't know if so. I think Lindholm for Marner may well, work. Well, the thing is, you don't have the cap space if you're the Ducks, or you have to actually use your LTIR, which is fine. They have the, the LTIR. The, the Ducks for a bad team hilariously have very little cap space. But they have a bunch space. of LTIR, and I think they that's, do. But that, I'm just that's saying, the key thing there. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to last forever either. No. So, but but Kessler's contract's going to come off. Get Kessler's yeah. contract's going to come off the books eventually. I think that you could reasonably make the argument that Lindholm for Marner could work by itself because of the cap hits. Yeah. Well, Be, we'll because of we'll see. Lindholm being only five point two, and what is Marner at ten? Is that 10, right? 11, something crazy, something around there. I'll look that up right now. But something along those lines. Um, yes. Well, let's see for for Marner really quickly. I think 10. it's at 11. 10.89. 10.89. Yeah. So he is way up there, but he's he's worth it. <laughs> he, yeah. He was he was not the reason that the the Leafs lost that series. So let's uh let's get through these last uh, few predictions here. So we were both wrong on this one. We both had the Oilers beating the Blackhawks. I had the Oilers in a sweep. You had it going five games, and we were both very wrong on the Chicago Blackhawks, who I don't know what they really did to win that series. <laughs> they won it in four games, but maybe it's just because they were playing a very mediocre Oilers team that got exposed. I don't here's know. They, I don't know what to make of that. Here's what they did. They played a team that had Mike Smith in goal and replaced <laughs> him with Miko Koskinen. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't usually help if that, you're trying that, to win. Because you look at expected goals for... The Oilers were the better team, and by a significant margin in this series, the <laughs> the Blackhawks basically made out with PDO, which is a sign that the Oilers' goaltending was just that bad. Do you think the Blackhawks win a game in round one? No. I, I, I'm still going to bet against them being swept every round they play. <laughs> I, I will be shocked if they win a game. That is how confident I am that, I am that Vegas is going to sweep. I feel bad for Connor McDavid because he's – catching flack for that loss and i really we'll get into if, that more later we'll get into more, that more oh, later oh okay okay well you just you, you gave something away there but that's Maybe. fine that's people don't know only, people don't know what's coming we haven't we haven't only, publicized what we're doing on the show yet only i know yes okay so nashville arizona you had arizona in four and i had nashville in four clearly i was wrong there it was a very competitive series though i will say you nailed the game and the pick Predators probably should have won this series. Probably. I mean, they dominated right. it. They almost dominated every game, but it's a short series. That stuff doesn't really matter sometimes. Yep. Darcy Kemper came through, and the I feel again. I feel kind of bad for the Predators because I feel like they're gonna look at themselves and say, "What is wrong with us?" But they kind of did everything well, they could. They just they didn't catch the breaks. That that's... I don't think any team should have a referendum on their team and kind of ha- go, have to yeah, go soul searching off of a five. But it's the series. NHL. It's oh, it's gonna NHL. happen. It's gonna happen. But no, yes. I, I I think people should understand that 
randomness happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, Arizona won. I mean, sure, Darcy Kemper was great, and that's probably Kachina. why they won. But let's go. The real reason they won is the power of the Kachina jersey. I'll, Those jerseys I'll, propelled them. They are very good. They need to get a white version for next they, season. That needs to become their their jersey. I don't know they why need, it's not. They need to bring that back. I, I get why they are sticking to the other look because it is a bit more mainstream, but people well, just love have, the Kachina. Don't they have new ownership now from when they changed to the current home in a way? So it wouldn't shock me if they made the change for next season. I mean, it's telling that they went with the Kachina yeah. jerseys for all of, for their home jersey. A lot of yeah. times when you see teams make that transition to wearing their third jersey as the home te- home well, jersey for the playoffs, <laughs> they then come out with an away v- version of it. I mean, the Ducks, the Ducks uh, did that. The Ducks did that. You also have had what well, the Oilers did that with their orange jersey. Um, yep. There, Although that orange jersey, that orange jersey is awful. Oh yeah, it's not good. It's but it's truly one of the worst. I think the Wild the have done that. Speaking of yeah, jerseys, well, real the, quick. well, the Wild have shifted to a green main jersey. So and and because they, they they brought out that really cool looking, uh, kind of green and wheat colored third, and they use that in the playoffs. Here's what's interesting to me: the Carolina Hurricanes love their black alternate jersey. Yeah, I don't I don't love it as much as their home jersey. But I don't either. I just don't like the flag logo. I wish it was if it was their standard logo, it it could be their home. But I think the red is just more classic for them. Anyway, this is gonna turn into a jersey pod, which seems to happen with with our podcast. Uh speaking Let's, of jersey pods, it looks like Buffalo has announced they're returning to royal blue. Yeah. Well that's been known. That's been out oh. there. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, um Vancouver, Minnesota. So that one went the way of the Vancouver Canucks. They took it in four games. You had Vancouver in five, and I had Vancouver in five as well. So neither of us got the games, but we did get the team. Yep. I came to. I fell in love with the Minnesota Wild in this series. You became just, the biggest Kevin Fiala fan I think there is. Kevin Fiala is just a very fun player to watch. I mean, the rest of their team is not that inspiring because they have so many guys who are just not going to be around in the next two to three years with like Zach Parise and Eric Stahl. But Kevin Fiala can just rip the puck. I mean, was it game two or three where he had two goals? Or was yeah. it? I mean, yeah, and there was a one timer, and then this crazy kind of he was good. short, short wind up, sniping it short side. I mean, he is that trade is looking awful for Nashville. And I will say, Grandland. I feel for Minnesota fans that they didn't have Kaprizov in this series. Yeah, because that could well, have been the difference maker. So before we before these the NHL returned, we had talked about Lafreniere potentially went to Minnesota, and I was very vocal that I did not, I did not care for that. It's just not a franchise that excited me. I'm going to walk that all the way back now. <laughs> give me give me Lafreniere with Fiala, Kaprizov, Galchenyuk. Just give it to me now. I'm ready for that. It's going to be that – is, that is the place that I want Lafreniere to go. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get in, into that in our, in our bonus pod tomorrow. So let's round it out with what was easily the worst series. I mean, it's not even close to me in terms of entertainment value, in terms of just, just everything. This was an awful series. You had Calgary in three, a Calgary against Winnipeg. I had Winnipeg in five. I will say, asterisk, heavy asterisk on this one, injuries, injuries all over the place. So Calgary won in four, but Patrick Laine went out after game one, or was it game two? Mark Shifley was out after game one. Both were out after game one, I believe. Yeah, they were just dropping like flies. So heavy asterisk, but you do get the win on this one. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh 
that it's just it was such a bland series that I'm not going to devote much time to it. But congrats to you. Yep. Congrats. I mean, congrats I, I to it. you the and your J- asterisk. Jets. Jets were one of the Jets. So the Jets were the worst team in the league this year at five I, on five. I also. Like, I also concluded that I really don't want to see Alexi Lafreniere waste away in, in Winnipeg. I could, that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind him in Winnipeg. You know uh, what? Screw. It. Let's just go over this real quick. Here, here are the teams. Now uh, we've gone through this. Here no. are the teams that he could potentially go to, and I'm going to run through them, and you'll just say yes or no, and I'll add yes or no. Okay. So, so uh, you have Pittsburgh. No. No. New York Rangers. Yes. Yes. Florida. Yes. Yes. Toronto. No. Yes, because I love chaos. <laughs> Edmonton. No. No, 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 no. God, no. no. God, no. no. Nashville. Uh, leaning towards yes, so I'll go yes. Yeah, hard, hard no. Hard pass. Uh, Minnesota. Okay. Yes. Yes, that is my top destination. Winnipeg. Winnipeg. No. Out of those, I, Winnipeg's a yes for me. After going through the rest of the teams, Winnipeg's a yes. I think the top for me is Rangers because it's an original six franchise that is not the but Toronto they, Maple Leafs. <laughs> they did get Kako last year. I'm just iffy. I just think that he would be a lot of fun on that he would particular be. team. I, I, that's that, fair. They already have kind of a fun core, and I think you put him in there, and they get a lot more exciting. For And I, I feel the same way about Florida as well. I think if you put him on Florida, I think that that could be interesting. Minnesota, we've talked about it. But yeah, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh, Toronto, Edmonton are just hard nose for me. I, I just anything honestly at this point, I would just take anything but Edmonton because we all know that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh let's get down the list here of our topics. Let's move on to the next thing. So the hero of the week. So for the foreseeable future on our Sunday pods, we're going to be doing categories, and we're going to be handing out awards. So we're going to do. Hero of the week to start it off. We'll, we'll keep the suspense rolling to find out what the awards are as we move along. Hero of the week. Who is your hero of the week? My hero of the week is going to be the one and only Sebastian Ajo. Eight wow. points in three games. Wow. Uh, okay. Just, just so good. And he, I mean, that goal where they scored going inside yes. out on Tony D'Angelo and going backhand shelf was just, just on so his beautiful. Knees. Falling on, on his, his knees. Just, yeah. just so good. Three goals, two primary assists. Three secondary assists. So five of those eight were primary points. Just so so good. Individual. Why did you expected. have to bring? Why did you have to bring him up? Because he was. Why? Why are you so mad? Oh, well, the, oh the Canadians the RFA, him. That's right. Yes. So. I forgot. I actually had forgotten about that completely. Still salty about that. It's okay. Uh, fifteen shot attempts in the three games. Uh, in all situations, thirty um, percent shooting. So probably not going to stay that high. But individual expected goal total at 1.86. So he's getting chances in dangerous spots and doing a whole lot of good with it and putting the puck in the back of the net and being a difference maker for Carolina and being a superstar. Yeah, Sebastian Ajo's backhand falling to his knees was better than my best backhand that I could muster with like a head start going into it that I could ever hope for. So that was a sick goal. And a a good pick for you, but not the correct pick. The correct answer here hero of the week Carey Price I mean is there really yeah, any I mean I don't know if it's fair to pick a goalie but I he left was him for just you. yeah that's what I kind of figured you wouldn't you wouldn't steal my my shine he was just so very good he turned back the clock to his MVP years and I I really now believe that 
I mean, it's a small sample. You don't want to take too much away from it, but a rested carry price can still be maybe not this Herculean, but he can still be a quality starter in the NHL that the Canadians have failed to provide him with a, a good backup in the last however many years. I mean, at least three years. And this should be all the motivation in the world that Mark Bergevin needs to go and get a quality backup. If not a guy that can even split the games, just keep Carey Price on ice until the playoffs. Yeah. Whatever you have to do. Led the led the qualifying round in a goal saved above expected, right above Carter Hart. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting for the uh, for, for their matchup. So it's, it's Carey Price for me. That is the correct answer. But... I will concede that Sebastian Ajo is a good pick. Let's go zero of the week now. So we're just going to switch it all up and go full negative here. Who is your zero of the week? My zero of the week is collective uh, Edmonton goaltending. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. What more can you say? Miko Koskinen played over four games or played in four games because he came in for Mike Smith in game one, negative 1.8 GSAX. Um, you also had, uh, Mike Smith, uh, I'm trying, oh, I don't think he played enough. Let me see where he was at actually in terms of negative GSAX when I adjust some things here, but he was pretty bad also, uh, over the course of the single game that he played, you look at the Oilers on this series, they were the better team. They were better than Chicago and they were just extremely let down by their goaltending. Yeah. How can your goaltending be that bad? That is my question. How can you? How is that the best you can come up with, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen? It's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here we go. So Mike Smith, in the single game he played, was the second worst goalie out of the play out of the first round. And I just love he, that it took him what one period to let in a goal by mishandling the puck behind the net. Just uh, classic butt goal. Mike Smith. But goal. But goal. Negative yeah. three point two five ex- uh, goal saved above expected for him. Koskinen over the next games was better, but still negative. And that's the difference for the Oilers. If they got an average goalie, they probably win that series. Mike Smith does this weird thing where he will have a good year and trick everyone into thinking that he's not Mike Smith anymore. And then he hoodwinks them the next year. And it's that's, off and on. It's off and on. He has that, one good year, one bad year, one good year, one bad year. I just year. don't know why, as a GM, you would buy into that at all. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the Oilers. It's the Oilers. I God mean, bless him. It's the there, there's. I mean, you have the the Zach Cassian deal. I saw a great thread about that. That was just absolutely trashing Ken Holland on that deal, and just yeah, Ken bad. Holland is massively overrated as a GM. Speaking yeah. of general managers, my zero of the week, the now former general manager of the Florida Panthers, Dale Talon. So Ooh. I'm going a little off script here. Somehow, for whatever reason, I thought you were going to go Chica there, but uh, when no. I heard form, now former, but y- yeah, I mean, I don't. He he doesn't qualify for this award in my opinion. <laughs> no, but no, he do, no he does not. It's just I heard now former and instantly went to Chica. Dale Talon was fired as soon as the Panthers were eliminated, which says a lot about how things have gone for Florida over the last few years. But if you'll recall. I believe it was Dale Talon who oversaw both Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau being claimed by Vegas in the expansion draft. Yes. And he's also, he also traded away Vincent Trocek at this deadline. Yeah. His whole tenure has been kind of looked at by some as this pushback on analytics and how the Panthers were quote unquote, an analytics team before him. That's kind of dubious anyway, but there was a lot of talk about how he was coming in to clean it up. He even had a quote, thank God I'm back, something like that. And 
yeah, didn't work out too well for old Dale Talon. You look at the position he's left the Florida Panthers in, signed Sergei Bobrovsky to an insane contract, eight years, $10 million a year, and with a full no-move clause. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's not looking pretty good right now for for the Florida Panthers. And so, sorry, it was a seven-year deal. My apologies. Anyway, horrendous, horrendous signing. You should never sign a goalie for that long at age 31. And then has just kind of, has just kind of hemorrhaged, has just kind of hemorrhaged talent the last few years from Trade, this team. I mean, I'm I'm going through his, his trades of recent, uh, from recent uh, years. Vincent Trocheck is a weird one. Granted, he got decent return on him. Trading away uh, James Reimer is an odd one to me still to get Scott Darling in a six-round pick, and Reimer really showed what he could do this past year. Uh, trading away Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad for – granted, that's a decent trade for a bunch of picks. Um, well, look at, the, look at the Michael Matheson contract. I mean, this yeah, crazy long, long-term deal for a kind of just whatever defenseman and just constantly trying to buy success or lateral move your way to success – it just hasn't really worked at all. I mean, that. Wait, the, wait, the, wait, wait, wait. So you're, you're telling me that making uh, deck chair shuffling moves does not help you be successful? Is that what you're telling me right now? I knew you were going to pick up on that. I mean, you said that way. I, I don't know if you were doing that to bait me there. But, I actually wasn't. Oh, boy. It, it was oh, boy. inadvertent. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I think the. I think the Florida Panthers are in a better place now that they don't have Dale Talon. I don't know where they go from here, but. He is my zero of the week because I really think his tenure in Florida has was just truly, truly unsuccessful. Even though they were an okay team this year in the regular season pre, uh, you know, pre shutdown. But yeah, just just a zero. Let's move on here to a more uh, a, a more joy a more joyful topic. Former Duck Spotlight. So who do you have? I. I can't so imagine. They, they, who, I, I can't imagine who you have, honestly. But but just go for it. This is a this is a fun topic that I decided to throw in f- to keep all Ducks fans kind of listening and tuned in because I think that's one fun thing. Just the playoffs t- taking is credit, seeing seeing former Ducks. I mean, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I came up with it, so taking, taking the credit. credit. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Sammy Votnin. Uh Interesting. He, he's a player that I had actually forgotten got traded to the Hurricanes until the very first game, and I was like, oh wait, there is Sammy, and he was featured in a fairly prominent role. Uh, playing 57 minutes over the those three games that they played um, and was pretty featured on the power play with Dougie Hamilton being out. And he had three points over the course of those games. His five on five numbers weren't amazing, but he became a po- He was a positive contributor. And really the reason why you have Sammy Vaughton in is to have uh, his, his ability on the court or to quarterback a power play. And that's what we saw. And so wanted to give him a little bit of spotlight because Sammy Vaughton was one of my favorite ducks when he was here. So my spotlight is a bit of a low light, and I do apologize to Frederick Anderson and his family, but he was not very good in this round for Toronto, and he's not the reason they lost. We already talked about that, but the goal he let in, the second goal that Columbus scored in the deciding game five felt very, very familiar, very reminiscent of the goal he allowed from the corner along the goal line to Jonathan Taves in game seven of the 2015 Western Conference Final. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, well, it was a kind of similar goal, dead angle goal in a deciding game and squeaks through his pad or his arms, whatever it was, and it ends up costing the the Leafs a shot at at moving on. Now, of course, like I said, it's not all his fault, but 
a lot of people at the time kind of panned the, the, the decision to move on from Frederick Anderson and, and really put all the faith in John Gibson. And I'm just going to take this moment to say that the Ducks made the, the right decision there. Yeah, they, they 100% made the right decision. I was a bigger Anderson fan at the time than I was a Gibson fan, but the correct decision was made. Anderson, I mean, Gibson was the better goalie. He was always projecting to be the better goalie. Anderson was the guy that was probably going to help a team more at that time than Gibson was, but Gibson has definitely uh, become the better goalie out of the two. He's he's exceeded the hype, I think, which yes. doesn't always happen, but but he's managed to do it. So yep. I was going to maybe throw in Corey Perry, who did have a goal in the round robin. I actually thought you were going to go with Corey Perry, even though he only had one goal, but I, I thought that's where you were going. The um the round robins were a thing that happened. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were. I I I think I I didn't watch any games start to finish in the round robin. I did watch them in, in bits and pieces, but didn't I didn't watched... sit didn't sit down and and kind of just stay fixated on any of them. The Vegas Colorado game was very good. That was a good one. That's probably the one I watched the most. But yeah, they kind of. I think you made a good point earlier in the week, or maybe on our last pod, that the NHL really nailed the qualifiers but kind of just kind of just said eh we'll, I think we'll I just was actually in my weekly article that you're gonna find uh once a week on the website yeah go to crash I think, yeah, com for I th- it. yeah it was in your article it was like yeah we'll just kind of do this thing for the round robin and no one will notice because everyone's watching the qualifiers so yeah it is what it is uh but yeah fred anderson for me and sammy Vatnin for you okay to finish up here narrative that is good or awful so I'll just start with this one. I know you have a few. I have one that's kind of simple. The narrative that the players are hyping themselves up from the bench because of the lack of a crowd. So this has been a theme on every broadcast that I've watched. It's, oh, look at how loud the players are, how, how vocal they are from the bench due to the lack of the crowd. And I have a newsflash. If you've ever watched a mic'd up video of any NHL team, the players are always yelling from the bench they are always talking yeah. they're they are always going 110 percent crowd or not and i'm not saying this because i want to denigrate crowds and say that they don't matter of course they do matter but i just got so tired of hearing that on every broadcast oh the players are having to hype themselves i was like no they're not they're playing they're playing for the stanley cup they're playing for their lives they're playing for for mm-hmm. all these things that come with success they, they i don't think they need any additional motivation and so that was one narrative that got old and tiring, and I, I just wanted to yeah. Kind of put I feel that like to we bed. could change we could change this because most narratives aren't good if we're focusing on them. Well, this there, is just there could a, be a good narrative. There this is an awful narrative. narrative. I mean, okay. bo- so I have two. One of them I've actually scratched after looking at some numbers, but the two that I have, one I heard in today's game, one is one that we saw earlier on in the week, and I feel like has definitely manifested since. But that Connor McDavid cannot lead the Oilers, and <laughs> he's the reason why they lost. Connor McDavid is not the reason they lost that series. He is so, so good and actually had an insane series if you look at expected goals for percentage. Um, I believe he was one of the best players in the league in terms of driving play. Um, I'm trying to get it open very quickly right now so that I can give you those exact numbers. But if you want to try to focus on a reason why someone or why a team lost, trying to say that Connor McDavid cannot lead a team is just complete BS. Uh, yeah that that's beyond the uh, like there there's no kind of backing behind that Connor mcdavid so here we go 64.39 expected goals for percentage while he was on the ice where at 40 where he had a 49.56 goals for percentage 
that's not him letting the team down. That's the team letting him down. And if you were to look at uh, box score stats as compared to just on ice stuff, um, and these box score stats come in uh, all situations, so not just in uh, five on five, he led the entire uh, qualifying round in points. He had nine points in four games. I said that Sebastian Ajo was a hero with eight points in uh, three games. McDavid was not as good as that on a point-per-game basis, but pretty damn close with nine points in four, including five goals. Five goals, two assists, or two primary assists, two secondary assists. That's seven primary points in four games. And people want to say he's the reason they lost. It's just baffling. Well, it's not just that he was the reason they lost. People are saying that he he's not charismatic enough that he's he he doesn't he doesn't inspire his teammates enough which yeah, that, that's who, i don't know how anyone would even know if he insp- how well, are we supposed to know how he affects the morale of his teammates why does it why does it matter if he scores seven primary points in four games well i agree with you i just think that it's so ridiculous to comment on something that you have no way of verifying it's yeah. just this unknown that that we're supposed to judge from this very limited sample that we have when it comes to charisma. It, it it's almost as if having bad goalies lost the series for the yes. Oilers, and that's on the general manager. And also, not I, I, I just don't understand. It goes back to this whole thing of why does a guy have to be shouting from the mountaintop, the rah rah leader, to to be qualified no. as a great leader. I still, Scott Niedermeyer was not that for the Ducks, and it was widely reported that he was a lead by example type of guy. And Chris Pronger was the more loudmouth in the locker room, and exactly. Scott Niedermeyer was the captain. Yeah, yeah. Zach Cassian is the loudmouth for the for the Oilers. They don't need Connor <laughs> McDavid to be that. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. And the the other narrative that I just la- laughed at today. Granted, it's not as big of a narrative, but it was one that just made me chuckle. Was Mike Milbury on the broadcast tried to say in uh, the la- game four for the Maple Leafs against the Blue Jackets, that Jason Spezza's fight was the turning point in the game for them, that this fight that happened 13 minutes and 52 seconds into the second period when it was 2 nothing against the uh, the Maple Leafs, that that was the turning point, completely ignoring the fact that there was a period intermission. The Blue Jackets scored another goal um, it, in the third period, and then the Leafs mounted their comeback with three minutes left. It's almost as if people try to overhype the, the narrative that fights energize a team and try to construct it to help their their point that fights matter when in reality it didn't really actually do a whole lot like it probably helped a little bit but it, it, the narrative that that's the turning point in that game is it, just no it, it was beyond belief for me here we're gonna have to come way. up with some some positive narratives <laughs> because i think this is gonna become we could we could just say what is the bad narrative we, yeah we, that, that was that was what i was saying oh here this is also here, this is a zero of the week. Lewis asked this question, and it, it goes along with the zero. NBC, not having a shot counter. Yeah, that is it's becoming... It's 2020. That is becoming almost untenable. It is untenable in the year 2020 because every other, almost every other network has it. All the regional sports, sports networks Net. have it. Sportsnet um, has Sportsnet it. Sportsnet has it. It's just insane. And also, what, what makes it more frustrating is that they will actually put up the shot count. But it just won't stay there. And they'll even put yeah. shot attempts. It's like, just leave it there. Just just stay. Stay, yeah. please. It, it It's insane to me. Also, I want them to do more with camera angles. Give me even more weird camera angles. Here's my question. What uh, What is the best broadcast crew so far for NBC? 
What's the for one you MB- enjoy the most? For enjoy NBC, the most? Mm-hmm. take out Millberry and just do Forsland and Boucher, and that's probably the best on- that NBC has to offer. No for- love for, for no love for Maguire. I think <laughs> no, but it, between the two guys that are between the glass, between uh, Pierre Maguire and Brian Boucher, I'll take Brian Boucher every day of the week. I think John Forsland's the best play-by-play that they have, uh, play-by-play guy. Although I will give a shout out, I think having Mike Tirico calling hockey games is amazing. Uh, he's just a guy that has a great voice and you can tell he does his research because I mean, for those of you who don't know, Mike Tirico is kind of a, a catch all type of guy. He's covered the world cup in the past. He covers football a lot and we'll call call football games and basically was brought in by NBC, I think from ESPN to basically cover the Olympics and kind of take over Bob Costas's role moving forward. And now they're kind of deploying him as a catch all for almost all different sports that they have. And it's fantastic to hear him call hockey games because he just has such a distinguishable voice. And I'm really, really happy with the games he's called. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was great. I think the, the only other thing I'll mention about the, the, the broadcasting, I, I don't know if, I don't know how many people that listen to our show caught this, but I was watching the Sportsnet feed for the, the Leafs comeback the, the, when they won in overtime with Matthew scoring. Jim Houston, when, Matt, when Austin Matthews scores, and he just says, Kasperi! Kapanen, and then you hear the other commentators say Matthews. It's Matthews. He's like, oh, Austin Matthews. It's <laughs> like, how do you? How do you? I mean, I know it happens, and I don't want to go too hard on him, but <laughs> he calls Leafs games for a living. How? How do you mistake Kapanen with with Matthews? I know their numbers look similar, but I think they're different handedness. So anyway, that was yeah, uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it's been a great week, honestly. This. This has been awesome. Hockey is back, and now the playoffs start. Now we always yeah. talk. We every year we talk about how the first round is the best time of the year. So we just got this amazing qualifying round, and now we get the first round. So <laughs> do now that the the qualifying round is over, let's circle back to a conversation real quick before we kind of wrap up because we're we're just past the hour mark here, so we'll probably wrap up kind of soon. Um, but let's let's circle back to a conversation you, me, and CJ had multiple times, more so in our text messages than I think on the show about whether we considered it the playoffs or not. Not about the NHL and their weird, wacky definition, but if you don't consider the play in the playoffs, then technically the Oilers, the Leafs, the Penguins, all of these teams are not playoff teams. Do you think that is correct, or would you consider them, if you were to look back, that they were a playoff team this year? I mean, were they a playoff caliber team? Sure, but... I don't know if I, mean, I can consider this the playoffs when you have the 12th seed seeded teams in the playoff in these qualifying rounds. But if you know there was a best of five that is random, like we talked about the Oilers and their goaltending giving up, screwing them over. Yeah. The Oilers had a, the Oilers had a playoff spot basically locked up by the I time under, this stopped. I, I understand. I, I, it's honestly, it's nothing makes sense. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think even this, know. I think that people will look back on this year and just have a biz, big asterisk. Yeah, but, like this, uh, this is so, I mean, hopefully this is so unique and not to be repeated again that I just, I'm just kind of throwing my hands up at this. <laughs> yep, and just enjoy it. But I think that we'll probably get two weeks before we have to, before the next round ends is about probably, because I think the first so, round typically takes about two weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. Now, yeah, so the game sevens are all slated for the twenty third at the latest. So, yeah, the next couple weeks. Let me just ask you this to wrap things up. What's the first round series that you're the most excited for? Uh, the first round series that I am most excited for. I mean, is it Boston let, let me Carolina? Give, let me give one East, one West. 
Okay. Boston, Carolina, Boston, Carolina in the East, because I think Boston got screwed, um, by the, the, this entire format with the round Robin. And Mm -hmm. I think Carolina also gets screwed by it by being the fifth seed. They're supposed to get the easiest matchup and they potentially get the hardest one. So to me that that is a really good well, Boston series. Boston went over three in the round robin. True. So are they True. are they the hardest matchup? I mean, who knows when it actually push comes to shove and they're in a knockout uh, game in a mm. knockout series if that play still stands. Well, also, so, who knows what well, their lineup is going to be? True. So I, I'm interested to see that series, no doubt. I think the the Western series I'm interested to see is the one I do not expect to last that long, which is Vegas Chicago. Really? Why Why is that the one that's the most interesting? Because I want to see the numbers play out correctly and have a team <laughs> that is just better dominate. So and overwhelmed. And yeah. It like it, it, it's one of those where I want to watch because I just want to see Chicago not be able to get out of their own zone. Yeah, that could be really ugly for sure. I mean, I... It, it will be hilariously bad. There's going to be at least one game where the shots are going to be some ridiculous disparity after one period, like 30 so, to seven or something. Yeah. That series, the disparity of talent between those two teams is so huge. You can't, you could maybe make the argument that the forward groups of the two are equal in terms of the high end talent, at least. I don't, I don't think so. That you could maybe make the argument about the high end talent, but the depth Patrick Kane has goes become, Patrick Kane has become very overrated. In True. watching, in watching his games, and looking at the I'm numbers, I'm just saying I, there's an yeah. Well, there's no, a, be, there's an argument. I understand, but a lot of people say that about Chicago, and I think when you look at their team and you actually watch them closely and look at the numbers, Patrick Kane, if he doesn't have the puck on his stick, is not doing a lot of moving. Yeah. He's just so he's that guy who's just coasting for points, like in beer league, basically. So um, that's, for this, that's what he reminds me of. So in this past season, Vegas had an expected goals for percentage of 56.45%. Chicago, on the other hand, had an expected goals for percentage of 47.38. I'm, I'm actually shocked it's that high. I thought it was going to be even lower. They're, 20, uh, they're 26th in the league. Yeah, they were not, they this were not is, good. This is, this is a matchup of the best team in the league at 5-on-5 five five versus one of the worst. Should be fun. Should be fun if you're a Vegas fan. What if well, Chicago you, pulls and, the upset? You also have the goalie that Chicago traded away going up against them. Yeah. No, it's it should be a sweep, but I it would kind of love if it wasn't. Um, so, so outside of the Canadians-Flyers series, which is obviously the one I am the most excited for as a fan of the team, it's actually probably the best matchup in the East, I would argue. Um, yeah. The matchup I'm the most excited to see, I think it's Lightning-Columbus. How could it not be? I mean, the yeah. the the Blue Jackets pulled the insane upset last year, not only beating the Lightning, but sweeping them. They just beat another team that really resembles the Lightning. I mean, down to even the jersey colors and pattern. And the Lightning didn't look awesome in the round robin. I mean, those were obviously games that didn't matter at all for them. So I'm just curious how this is going to play out. I really think the Blue Jackets could do it again. I would almost, I'm almost tempted to pick the Blue Jackets to win again. Um, Why not? Yeah, I mean, hey, it's not an official prediction, but I don't know. I mean, Steven Stamkos, he's out indefinitely. He's John Cooper literally told the media to stop asking about Steven Stamkos. Do the Lightning need him to beat the Blue Jackets? No. Would I feel more confident in the Lightning if they had him? Yes. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, in the West, outside of the series you just mentioned, I'm going to go with Avalanche Coyotes. I think that 
I'm just, I love watching the Avalanche play, and I'm just wondering, now that the Coyotes are playing a team that's of a much higher caliber in the Avalanche, how will they, how will they respond? Because they kind of snuck by Nashville, but Nashville is not a perfect team by any means. Colorado is much closer to being perfect, and I'm just curious what they will look like in that setting. So it'll be interesting. Uh, by the way, for anyone that cares about uh, how predictive models worked uh, for the first round, the best one in terms of predicting the first round was uh, Micah Blake McCurdy's Ineffective Math. Second was Evolving Wild. Third, Money Puck. Interesting. So, interesting. Not really anything of importance there, but just an yeah. interesting thing. Well, on that note, we are going to wrap up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. A couple of different ways that you can support the show. We've talked about it at least five or so times in the show now, but we do have a Patreon page, and mm-hmm. we've been ke- we've been keeping it going all throughout the last few months. And now that we have new stuff to talk about, we're, re- we're ramping it up. So for a dollar a month, you can join our patrons-only Discord chat, which has honestly gotten really awesome <laughs> in these playoffs. I mean... Uh, everybody coming in to roast me when the Canadians are actually winning. Um, all the ba- all the banter about the different games and when Ducks news breaks. So it's a lot of fun. And obviously, once we get back to normal, whenever that is, cross our fingers. We also do live in-game chats when the Ducks are playing. So that Discord chat is a lot of fun, especially if you're a diehard fan and you know you kind of want to just chat with people who kind of see the game like you do. Uh, now for $5 a month, you get that same uh, access to the chat, but you also get access to those bonus episodes we've been talking about. It's two bonus episodes a month for $5. It's honestly, if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy what we do, it's really an easy way to support us. Now, a way to support us that doesn't cost you anything, but that still has a big effect, just search for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. Those go a really long way. They take maybe two minutes to fill out. Um, maybe a little longer if you want to be more heartfelt. Um, you can check us out on um, CrashThePond.com. You can also check out Jake on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore And did you mention Twitch? Yeah, and also when we do these pods, uh, we are broadcasting them live on Twitch. So that's at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. So Jake, you want to explain to everybody how that works? Yep. So if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. And so all you have to do is hit that subscribe button after you link your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account. Um, it is completely free to you, and it's a way to support us that really does help out significantly. With that, you get special badges in the chat, special emotes, um, that will uh, come in for you uh, specific to this broadcast. And it's a lot of fun and it helps us out more than you can imagine. And I'm not sure if Felix mentioned because he cut out slightly there. So for the video feed, sorry about that slightly. Um, But uh, for the Patreon, we will be recording one tomorrow night. We mentioned it slightly, um, but as you listen to this, it will actually be tonight we're recording it. Um, But we will be going over the impact of that uh, uh, draft lottery and how the fallout, who will get Alexi Lafreniere from that. And we'll also be going uh, in depth on all of the first round uh, previews and giving you our full thoughts. Uh, We'll probably have an article up on the site with more brief thoughts. So our picks should be on the website, but the more in-depth reaction and everything like that. And you can hear me and Felix kind of get into it like we did last round. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I need to, I need a big bounce back from, last maybe you should take my advice when we're really on the the uh, opposite sides of arguments because as it turns out majority of the things that we uh, got into an argument over i was correct on yeah but injuries 
In- injuries. Never forget injuries. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. All right, folks. Well, hey, thanks to everybody for listening. Hope you have a great week, and we will catch you next Sunday. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.